Good morning. My name is Bobby, and I am the one of the pastors at Soma Northwest. Our congregation, part of Soma, we meet in the northwest corner of Indianapolis. We're really creative with names at Soma. Um, Brandon, Pastor Brandon, and I are swapping pulpits this morning, so he's preaching to, to our folks out at Northwest, and I'm really thrilled uh, to be here this morning and see some familiar faces and meet some new folks. My wife and I were a part of this Midtown congregation for a little over three years before we launched Soma Northwest uh, in the fall of 2017. But to give honor to Pastor Brandon, I am going to begin our time this morning by giving you a little sociology lesson. I know that that's something he likes to do, something that you're used to. This week I was listening to someone talk a little bit about information and knowledge and how that relates to us as a culture and the time, the times, uh, the places, the season of life that we're in currently. And um, one of the things that this guy said as he's been doing some research is that it is estimated from the time of Jesus's birth that it took 1,500 years for the cumulative knowledge of humanity what humans knew, what they were able to record about life and, and each other and the way the world works, the cumulative knowledge of humanity. It took 1,500 years from the time of Jesus' birth for that knowledge to double. From there, it took 250 years for it to double. And it doubled every 100 years after that until World War II. From World War II, the knowledge of humanity doubled every 25 years until the 90s when it began doubling every 12 to 13 months. And it's estimated that today, what we know as a human race and are able to write down and record doubles every 12 to 13 hours. So let me put that in perspective for you. If you were born in Jesus' day, it would take a millennia and a half, a millennia and a half for humans to know twice as much as they did before. But for babies born this morning, they are born into a world where our knowledge will double before their parents go to bed tonight. We have access to more information today than anyone who has ever lived in the history of the world. And because of that, the pace of change is moving faster than ever before. And we all feel this, right? We all, we all experience this. We are developing technology today that's outpacing our ability as humans to adapt to it. Think about virtual reality, VR. There are studies that are coming out now, people that are talking about the effects of virtual reality, that the emotional effects, the biological responses to virtual reality are things that we were not prepared to deal with. And we're starting to have to figure out how we begin to press into people's responses to virtual reality. Something that our minds and that our bodies, that our emotions, what we feel and what we experience weren't created for. 
Think about driverless cars and that technology that continues to progress and continues to come down the pipeline. And sadly, I think it was just a couple of months ago that someone was struck and killed out west by a driverless car. And it raised questions of like, what is the morality in this? Like, what, what are our ethics when it comes to this kind of technology? How do we begin to like have these conversations when the pace of change, the pace of technological advances is, mo are, is moving so fast and we feel left behind. And for those of you who work in the tech sector, for those of us who consume technology in all of its different forms from week in, week in and week out, you know that that brings with it a level of anxiety. You know, a, a level of what is going to happen next. Because just as soon as we begin to get a handle on what it means to live in our world today, it becomes outdated tomorrow. And we have to relearn something else, something brand new. We are overwhelmed by the amount of information and knowledge that we are experiencing in our world today. Think about how different that is from people who grew up two, three, four generations ago. If you grew up 100, 150 years ago, think about the news, for example. Your news was very localized, wasn't it? The things that you understood about the world, the things that you understood about life and what was going on in life was very much a local thing. The news that you heard was, hey, Joe's barn is on fire. And so there was something you could do about that. You would run to Joe's barn with a pail of water and help him put the fire out. You know, Tom's uh, cow is stuck in the mud. And so you go down and help Tom push his cow out of the mud. A family in your town or in your small city had like their 15th kid. And so you would go and bring uh, a meal. You would help out around the homestead. The, the news that you would get 100, 150 years ago was very actionable. You would hear something happening. You would feel the need to jump in and do something about that. And you would be able to do it. But think how differently that is today. We are getting news from all over the world. Information knowledge from what's happening all over the world. And if you're honest this morning, you probably know more about what is happening in Washington, D.C., what is happening in Europe, what is happening in Asia, than you do about what is happening in the lives of people that are living on your block. I mean, tell me I'm wrong. Like, we live in this 24-hour news cycle that we are, being cons we are consuming news and information at a massive rate. We hear it, we watch it, we read it, it, we feel it. It stirs something up inside of us. But the reality is we are so used to hearing all of this information and doing nothing about it. Doing nothing about it. I mean, just think about your day tomorrow and how much information you will consume. On the radio, on the TV, at work, through your friends, books, magazines, internet articles. So much information that you consume in a 12 to 24 hour period of time. 
and it's so easy not to do anything about it. And the reality is, we experience that just as much in the church as we do anywhere else. If you've been here at SOMA over the last few months, we have been working through Jesus' teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God, what life with God under the rule of God is really like. And what Jesus told us at the beginning of this sermon the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5, that this kind of life is a good life. It is a blessed life. Is it a, it's a life that's not a burden. It's a life that doesn't suck the vitality out of us. It's a life that doesn't steal our joy because it's a life that God desires for us. It's a life that God intended us to live. It is a Jesus-centered life. It is a kingdom-shaped life. It is a future-directed life. And it's not an ideal. It's not just a philosophy. It's not a set of ideas. All through this sermon, Jesus has been teaching us the way of God. It is a way of being, what we know that translates into what we do. And in this passage that we're going to look at this morning, the word, the adjective that Jesus uses to describe this kind of life is wise. Wise. The climax of the Sermon on the Mount is a contrast between people who are wise and people who are not. So let's look back at this passage. Matthew chapter 7, if you're still there. Look at verse 24 again. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, and what? Does them. Does them. That word translated in the rest of the New Testament comes up multiple times. It can be translated do, make, produce, declare, practice. It is a thread that runs throughout the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus encourages people to, again, to do what he's telling them to do. And not only to do it, but to teach other people about it and to teach other people to do it. In chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus warns that we should be careful when we do righteousness. Who are we doing it for? Whose approval are we seeking? In chapter 7, verse 12, just a few verses before this, Jesus says, whatever you want others to do to you and for you, do to them and for them. 22 times in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, this word do appears. Eight times in verses 15 through 27 of Matthew 7. Just that short, those short passages, eight times, Jesus uses this word for do. The point is doing and practicing, hearing what Jesus says, doing and practicing what Jesus says is absolutely necessary for kingdom life. It's absolutely vital for experiencing the kind of life that God has intended for us to experience. And Jesus reinforces this by telling us a story, by giving us a parable. Look again 
at verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell. And great was the fall of it. Jesus is telling us here that there are two ways of being. There are two houses that we can build. And those two ways and those two houses are not determined by the amount of information that we consume or the amount of knowledge that we take in, but they are determined by doing something about it. Doing something about it. This, according to Jesus, is the essence of true wisdom. To hear his words and to do them and That is the essence of true discipleship to Jesus, isn't it? Hearing the words of Jesus, doing what Jesus did, practicing the way that Jesus practiced, being wise and living wisely according to Jesus means being a disciple of Jesus. Let me put this as simply as I can. Jesus taught what kind of life God created us to live. Jesus taught what kind of life will bring us the happiness, the security, and the prosperity that we so desire to experience. So let me ask you this. Just by pure logic, doesn't it make sense that we would choose then to live this kind of life? Jesus has promised us this will be true. So wouldn't we be foolish if we choose not to do it? Jesus tells us here that the foundation of our house matters more than the appearance of it, right? The foundation is what matters because both of these houses could have had beautiful design beautiful architecture both of them could have been fashioned with the latest decor both of these homes could provide and offer the latest the the latest technological advances but jesus doesn't even mention that does he He doesn't even describe what these houses look like because what matters for Jesus is the foundation. What are these houses built on? The foundation that only the builder can see, that only the builder knows about. What's under the surface? If you're like me, we are tempted to believe in the appearance of wisdom, aren't we? We're seduced into thinking that what we can see is what really matters to God. That if we say the right thing, if we talk a good theological game, if we put on our religious or our moral swag, you know, let people see me at church. Let see people see me doing this in my community. 
If we do these spectacular spiritual things, we think, man, that, re- that is what matters to God. And other people look at us and say, wow, she is so holy. He is so devoted to God. We are deceived into thinking that these are the type of things that are important to God. But let me ask you this. Who did those things in Jesus' day? Who were the people that everyone else looked at and said, those are the most spiritual people. Those must be the people who are closest to God. Who are the people who knew all of the right answers, who followed all of the right laws? They were the religious leaders. They were the Pharisees. They were the very people that over and over in Jesus' sermon, he points to as being the opposite of what God desires. The kingdom of God is contrasted with the life of the people that everyone thought were the most religious and the closest to God. Hearing what Jesus says and doing what he says, that is the greater righteousness that God desires. That is a whole person righteousness. It's a transformation of mind and body, what we know, what we believe, and what we do. It comes from the inside out. This morning, each of you are building a house. When you woke up this morning, you started again making additions to your house. Your attitude towards money, how you spend your money, how you save your money, how you give your money, your relationships, how you treat other people, how you view other people, how you want other people to treat you, how you treat other people when they don't want, when they don't treat you the way you want them to treat you. The aspirations that you have for your career, for your life, the goals you want to achieve, the success that you want to attain, the meaning that you want to have, your legacy, what you leave behind after you're gone. Your marriage, how you communicate with your spouse, what it means to you to love your spouse, to serve your spouse, to be faithful to your spouse, the way that you parent, what you want your kids to know about this world, how you discipline them, how you correct them, how you teach them, the environment that you want them to grow up in. Each one of these things is a brick, it's a board, it's a shingle that you are putting on your house. But ultimately what Jesus says is it does not matter what bricks are in there, how good the boards are, how great the shingles look, if the foundation is off. What Jesus is trying to get us to see is that ultimately the test is whether your house, the house that you've built every moment of every day with every decision and every relationship and every choice, will it stand up in the storm? When the rains come, 
when the floodwaters come, when the winds beat against the house. And we have, we know all too well what that looks like, right? Over the last year, this hurricane season, and how bad it's been, Houston, Puerto Rico, the destruction that happens like that. People whose lives are lost. People whose houses and everything that they had earned and built their life on, gone just like that. The destruction still picking up the pieces. I just saw a story a couple of days ago about people in Puerto Rico who are still without electricity almost a year later. People in Houston who are still picking up the pieces from last year. And what do we hear over and over and over again when a natural disaster like this happens? We weren't prepared for this. We weren't prepared for this. Our infrastructure wasn't prepared to endure this. Our power grid wasn't sufficient for this kind of damage. We didn't have enough time to get ready. We didn't know it could be this bad. In Jesus' grace and his mercy, he's giving us a heads up. He's warning us with plenty of time. Storms are coming. Storms are coming. Will you turn with me to James chapter 1? Take a right in your Bible over a few big books. You'll hit Hebrews. James is right after that. At the beginning of this letter, James writes this in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This is the context for everything that James is going to say in this letter. James is writing to people who have experienced, who are experiencing, and who will experience trials and hardships in their life. And what James says here at the outset of his letter is this. Don't run from bad things. Don't pretend like the hard things aren't hard. Don't live like you're exempt from the struggles of this life. Don't try to create a life where you insulate yourself from all kinds of grief and suffering and pain because here's the truth one in one people will experience suffering this is part of the human condition every single one of us in this room will experience hard things in our life will experience difficult relationships will experience circumstances that bring us to our knees that show us our limits like never before. It is a fact of life. And some of you in this room know that all too well. Some of you are experiencing that right now. And James says here that when you experience that, that you should consider it joy. In the midst of the storm, you should have joy. 
That's crazy talk, people. <laughs> That's crazy. I don't know what you've experienced in your life, but I know what I've experienced in mine. And I know these times, and I've felt these times, and this is the last thing I want to do. This is the last thing I want to do, is to have joy in the midst of this, these storms. Look down with me at verse 19. James goes on to write, Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts will be what? Blessed in his doing. Blessed in his doing. I don't know about you, but when I experience suffering, when I experience persecution because of my faith in Jesus, when I feel like the walls of my life are closing in and squeezing me, when my security, when my comfort, when my happiness is threatened, when the dreams and the hopes that I have for my life and the, life's, the life of others, the ones that I love, begin to crumble, I don't want to listen to God. I don't want to listen to other people who tell me to listen to God. I want to be angry. I want to be upset. I want to rage. I want to proclaim to people who will listen that this is not what I deserve. That this is not what my life should be. That this is how God should be responding to me in this situation. I want to tell people who can shove it. And I want to tell God that I question whether or not he is really good. I want to say, what's the point? Because it would be way easier just to do what I want. It would be way easier just to do the things that are easy, that don't require a lot from me. It's easier for me to turn away from God than turn to God. Because I don't have the strength to press in. I don't want to believe that God is still good. And so when we circle back around to what James is saying, what Jesus is saying, whoever hears the words of Jesus and does them will be blessed. We have a decision to make. Safety, security, happiness, meaning, 
prosperity, legacy. Those are all words that you want to be true about your life, right? Those are all adjectives and words and realities that we want to live into, that we want to be true, that we want to experience. But happiness and meaning and prosperity and legacy and safety and security make terrible foundations. Terrible foundations to build our house on. We are so tempted to run after these things. To center our lives on achieving these things. To make decisions based on how we can experience these things. And Jesus tells us that even as good as those things are, that is a foundation that is built on sand. That when the waves come and the winds blow and the elements beat against our lives, that foundation will crumble. But, but, if the foundation of our house is built on Jesus, hearing his words and doing them, we are promised that certain things will happen. We're promised that we will be able to live a wise life that avoids unnecessary pain, self-inflicted suffering, and chronic disappointment. We are promised that if we hear the words of Jesus and do them, that when we face the storms of life, when we're beaten up by trials and persecution and suffering and grief, we will not crumble. That's Jesus' promise to us here, that the safety the security, the happiness, the meaning, the prosperity, the legacy that we all want for our life, we will experience if we are building our life on what Jesus says and doing what he says. Now you may be thinking, that sounds good, man, but I'm good. I'm okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm down with Jesus. I appreciate all these things that he's saying. These are some good things to keep in mind. Remind myself from time to time. But let's be real. You don't know my situation. You don't know my life. Things work a little bit differently in my career. Things just happen a little bit differently at my workplace. You know, my family, my family's just kind of wonky. It's its own thing. You just don't really know what it's like dealing with my family. Uh, I mean, look around at the world that we live in. Look at all of this that we have to deal with day after day after day. I mean, it's just, you know, I'm good. I'm good. I appreciate what Jesus is saying, but I got to figure this out on my own. I've got a mentor at work who knows what it takes to get to where I want to go. I've got a blog or I've got a podcast. I've got this person, this guy, this girl out here that I listen to. And man, they've got some really, really good things to say about life. Really helping me out. I've got a family that we, we stick together. We've always stuck together. We always have each other's back. When things go wrong, we can count on each other. That's all good. But. 
everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man. Jesus doesn't give us caveats here. He doesn't give us exception clauses. What Jesus says here cuts across situations, cultures, relationships. You will not be able to stand in the storm apart from hearing the words of Jesus and doing them. You are deceiving yourself. You're building a house that will crumble and will fall. You say, man, are you trying to scare me? Yes. Yes. Brandon will be back next week. He'll pick up the pieces. Jesus is giving us a warning here. Jesus wants this to arrest our hearts and our lives. Jesus wants us to be at a place where we see the potential destruction that we could experience. Jesus wants us to be at a place where we examine our lives and we ask, what is my foundation? What am I building my house on? I'm 35 years old. Not old by any means. But as each year passes and I learn more and more about this life, one of the truths that becomes bigger and bigger and bigger to me is this. That easy things are rarely good. And good things are rarely easy. Easy things are rarely good. And good things are rarely easy. This life that Jesus is calling us into is not easy. He is calling us to do hard things, things that we don't want to do, things that others don't want us to do, things that our culture tells us are the wrong things to do. This life is not easy, but Jesus promises us that this is a life that is good. And that's the invitation this morning, is to live a life that is wise, a life of knowing what's true, acting on that truth, and experience the goodness God wants. And that kind of life only comes when we choose to build our foundation on Jesus' words and Jesus' life. And we do it. And we live it. And there are some of you in this room who hear this and you're like, okay, I'm just going to do it. You got me. I agree. I just need to start doing this. Just tell me what I need to know. Tell me what I need to do. And I'm going to go out and do it. I will do the best that I can do at doing what Jesus wants me to do. Jesus' goal here isn't to inform you. It's to transform you. Jesus doesn't want to inform you. He wants to transform you. To get his life inside of you so that it comes out of you. Jesus wants to get his life inside of you so it can come out of you. And that is what Jesus means when he talks about this righteousness that God desires. 
a righteousness that is not just about knowing the right thing and believing the right things. A righteousness that is just not is not just about doing the right things and looking good on the outside, but a righteousness that is all of us, our mind, our body, our soul, all of who we are offered up to Jesus to transform us in every single way. That is what God desires. That is what it means to hear the words of Jesus and do them. This fall across our Soma churches, we are going to really dive in to what some people call spiritual formation, which is just a fancy way of saying how God transforms us, how God makes us into the men and women that he wants us to be, how we experience the life that he has designed for us to live. And when we think about being transformed, it's about being with Jesus. It's about becoming like Jesus. It's about doing what Jesus did. It's not about willing our way to a certain kind of life. No amount of energy on our part will be able to produce the kind of righteousness that God desires. No amount of inspiration, momentary inspiration that we have will lead us to a place of lasting transformation. But God in His grace has given us a way. God has given us His Spirit his spirit to put the life of Jesus in us and to help that life of Jesus come out of us. He's given us his word, the words of Jesus, to direct that transformation, to show us what God wants, to show us the kind of life that he desires for us, to show us the kind of world that one day we will live into for the rest of eternity, a world that we can begin to pursue right now. And God has given us his people to encourage us along the way. That's why we do what we're doing here. It's not to just come and jump through hoops. It's not just to have a nice place where we feel inspired to go out now and face the week ahead. We are here together because we believe that God wants to transform us individually and he does that through us in community. Whoever hears my words and does them, he or she will be wise and their house will stand in the storm. The reason that we take communion every week is that we need to remind each other that it's worth it. When we take a piece of bread and we dip it in the cup, we are reminding ourselves, but we are also proclaiming to one another that because Jesus has died, because Jesus has risen, and because Jesus will come again, we have hope. We have hope that when the storms of life come, that our house will stand. We have hope that what God promises will be true. And we remind each other that even as hard as it is, as demanding as it is, as much as it fights against what we really want to do, following Jesus is worth it. And so I want to invite you this morning, if you are building your house on Jesus, 
if your hope is in Jesus, to come, to embrace that, to proclaim that to others in this room. We have stations up front. We have stations out the door in the back. This is a hard thing to say. This is a hard message to preach. And I know some of you in this room might be like, I, I just don't know. I don't know where I'm at with this. I'm kind of all over the place this morning. I don't know what my foundation is. Stay in your seat during this time. This is not going to save you. It's not going to like magically transform you. But we would love to talk to you more and explain to you this life. Explain to you what it means to follow Jesus. Help get you connected to this community who can encourage you and love you and push you forward in that. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have told us what to do, but we also thank you that you have not left us alone and just said, okay, go do it. But that you have given us your spirit. You have given us your people to encourage us, to challenge us, to love on us when we're unlovable. And God, I just pray that this morning you would bring each of us to a point in this, to a point in our lives where we examine where is our foundation, who is our foundation, what am I building my life upon? And for those of us who can't say Jesus, his words and his teaching and his life, I pray that your spirit would draw us to that and that we would surrender all of who we are to all of who you are. And I pray for those of us in this room who are making the commitment day after day and week after week to say, yes, I'm following Jesus. I'm building my house on Jesus. I pray that we would be encouraged this morning. I pray that we would, be, that we would, we would feel the joy this morning of knowing, yes, God, this is the life that you desire for me and that that would motivate us to keep moving forward to keep pressing on even when the storms of life come in jesus name we pray amen